Hello, I'm Chris. This is the Northern Guide to Happiness. Welcome to episode 24. As always, we're here in the virtual studio and I'm with Alex and Kath. Hello, everyone. Good evening. I'm fine. Hello. You're all good, are you? <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Excellent. So what sort of week have we had? Oh, can I start? Can I start? Yes. Oh, go for it, Kath. <laughs> well, inspired by hearing the interview about Gosford Central Park. Oh, yes. Bearing in mind it was Sunday yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. I w- I went to Gosforth Central Park. Excellent. Oh. And discovered that it is three times the size mm-hmm. that I had first imagined it to be. Tardis Park, yep. And absolutely gorgeous. The weather was fantastic. There were loads of people around. The atmosphere was stunning, absolutely mm. wonderful. And so it, I just had a great time. It was fabulous. And then I walked, I, I got, I forced myself to have a cup of coffee and a donut. <laughs> oh, it's a forced. hard life, Kath. <laughs> and I just, I just thought, well, I've got to do this. I, I just really have to do this. So my recommendation is if you're in the area of Gosforth Park, uh, Gosforth Central Park even, go along because the atmosphere and the map, it was magic, absolutely magic. Excellent. Oh, nice. that's good to know, Kath. Nice. Thank you. So th- thank you to uh, Tim and all the trustees and all the volunteers at uh, Friends of Gosford Central Park for, for making such a lovely experience for Kath. <laughs> that's great. Oh, cool. How about you, Alex? What have you been up to? <laughs> it's been a bit of a blink and I've missed it week, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> I'm yeah. not quite sure how we're back here again uh, recording our, our banter session. I've, I've not done an awful lot, to be honest, um, but... As I say, it's just been a bit of a whirlwind week, and it's uh, just been and gone before I even before I even noticed. To be wow. fair, so I can't really tell you what I've, I've been up to because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you what I've noticed. I've noticed that everybody that um, that is now working from home and has got some form of standing desk feels compelled to talk about the fact that they have a standing desk. <laughs> anyway, on on uh, on Friday, my my standing desk arrived. Oh really? Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Tell my... us all about it, Chris. Oh yeah, right. Um, it's great. I mean, it's 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 really ugly. It's big and black and enormous. It sits on top of the desk, but it's really quite cool. And has really... it been gifted to you, or have you bought it? Uh, this was we we have an allowance from work. Uh, well, I did wonder about that because I have spoken to a few people recently about standing desks and they, they seem to be coming from an allowance. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this wasn't break the bank, but it was, you know, it's not not insignificant. <laughs> what, I, what I got with it, though, was and this what this didn't come out of the allowance was a wobble board. A what, a what now? A wobble board. So this okay. is this is this is a, uh, <laughs> like a circle of wood uh, with a kind of a dome underneath it. And it's nice and sturdy and you stand on it and you've you wobble, but you've got to keep your balance. Like those, do you remember oh, when you were a kid no, and you no, had those no, no. you had those footballs yes. with a, with a sort of plastic board around it and that's, you could kind of bounce like that's that. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly oh, like that. Okay. Um, just for movement and stop my back getting sore. But um, this, this is my my attempt at sort of improving my well being at work. What's the word for something that helps you get your well being at work? Um, with a gadget, there's a there's a special word for it that I can't remember now. Futile. Come. I don't know. What, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm thinking of hypoallergenic, but it's that's got nothing to do. With it. Ergonomic. 
Ergonomic. That's yes. the, that's word association. There yeah. we go. Ergonomic. Yeah, <laughs> but like you that. didn't you didn't buy them for the kids because that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm just waiting for the uh, my first accident on the wallboard because that'll. I was wondering. Yeah. Pitching off the camera during a meeting. <laughs> just don't. Do, well, actually, maybe it would be quite fun doing it in a banter session. It would make good. Uh, Good recording material. It would, but that's on the other laptop behind me rather than the laptop. Behind me. <laughs> and then we could possibly get a photograph of it for the website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Or not. <laughs> Judging by the look on your face. <laughs> Let's keep our fingers crossed it doesn't happen, Kath. That's, uh, that's the important thing. Well, that'd be boring. Yeah, wouldn't it? It would. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, here we are. And uh, let's move on to, before we find out other ways for Chris to injure himself. Uh, let's get on to uh, to this week's interview. So I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Carol Moxham from Newcastle University. Carol is a speech and language therapist and also a lecturer. And we talked a lot about language and communication and students and well-being and sort of looking after uh, looking after people in our care. So uh, this is my interview with Carol. Good morning, uh, Good Dr. Carol Moxham. How yeah. are you doing? I'm all right, thank you very much. Yeah. Excellent. You're uh, very welcome to the the Northern Guide to Happiness. You're I one know. Of illustrious, illustrious band of people know that have. Uh, I can't remember exactly what episode number we're on. Um, I think we've done about sort of fifty or sixty of these now. So, um, uh, really, really pleased that uh, you were able to you were able to kind of join us on this. Um, so. It's very early. Well, it feels very early on a Monday morning. Um, we, we sort of agreed to, to do the recording at, uh, at 8.30. Are you, are you a natural early riser? Uh, well, I was up at 4 o'clock this morning, so... What? I know. Well, um, uh, you get into habits and uh, I wake early anyway, so I thought, oh, do I lie here or do I get up and be productive? So I got up. It'll hit me about three o'clock, so you've got me in a good time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I tend to peek around lunchtime and then that's it. I'm, I'm useless for and the rest of the that. day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I should point out for the people listening that um, I probably sound a little bit different to how I usually do when I'm recording these because I'm, I'm in Bristol um, in, in our office because um, I'm on a business trip of all things. Um, and I thought I was going to be coming into a nice, quiet place um, secluded little office, but it turns out that even when there's nobody else in the building, there's a massive amount of noise, like air conditioning units and uh, clanking and all sorts of weird things. I think I've watched too many movies about business meetings. I always think it's like you get to stay in a posh hotel, you eat posh food, everything's <laughs> paid for, but I don't think that's reality, is it? <laughs> I did have a very nice breakfast. Okay. That's kind of one of the perks of, of, of coming away. Um, so you get your sausages and your bacon first thing in the morning. So I'm I'm, I'm going to get fat. Um, but it just kind of struck me that, you know, when you come into the office, uh, you're surrounded by all this noise all the time, even when mm. there's nothing going on. And yeah. it, it's kind of really difficult to relax. Mm. Um, so yeah. So I, if 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 there are kind of noises off yeah. during the recording, then I apologise to everybody, or I apologise to the people that are going to be doing the uh, <laughs> the engineering of the podcast episode later on. Um, anyway. Um, all that is, all that is nonsense. Um, Carol, mm-hmm. uh, as I say, really pleased to speak to you. Could you give yourself a bit of an introduction, say to people kind of who you are, what you do? 
Well, uh, good morning, everybody, and uh, thank you for listening in. Uh, I'm Carol Moxham, and I, um, I'm a speech and language therapist. By profession, is my profession. I've been doing this for about 100 years now. <laughs> um, I work in paediatrics, so I work with children mm, from about four all the way up to 16. Mm-hmm. Um, I did work in community clinics, so I was based in health centres and... Uh, I love the atmosphere and the hustle and bustle of schools, so I spent a few years working in schools. I then um, took on a role at the university, which is teaching um, students to developing their clinical skills. So, you know, how to work with kids and support them with their speech and language. I also do a bit of uh, lecturing. My area of interest and passion, I suppose, um, is the links between language and literacy. Because uh, one of the things I found was when I was working in schools with kids, you know, you could teach them and support them in the areas that they had difficulties with. But ultimately, you wanted to help them actually access the teaching and learning that was happening in the classroom. And then that led me to think, well, hold on a minute. What, what part does literacy play in all of this? Mm-hmm. And then I went down that road of looking at that. So here at the university, I run a clinic. Well, I ran a clinic for <gasps> 15 years, something like that, called the Literacy Clinic because I quite like TLC. <laughs> way. And um, so I ran that for a while and then I had to be off work for an extended period of time and then so the clinic was disbanded in that particular guise and now it is the children's speech and language clinic but what's that saying you can take the girl out of the clinic but you can't take the clinic out of the girl <laughs> so um, even though it doesn't have literacy clinic in its title you'd be very hard pushed for, for me not to get my neb in and always be looking at what's the link for this child for their access in the curriculum and their literacy yeah so that's me yeah i mean this sounds fascinating stuff and i think when most people well no i say when most people uh, when some people think about speech and language therapy or speech therapists what mm. the image they've got in their mind is perhaps somebody like jeffrey rush in the king's speech um you know that that sort of aspect of disfluency and helping uh, people kind of get over um speech difficulties but speech and language therapy is much, much broader than that, which you're sort of alluding to. So, yeah, yeah. Um, w- w- what's in the what's in the toolkit for speech and language therapy? What's you know, I, I know there's no such thing as a typical speech and language therapist, but you mean it's what already sounds like yeah, yeah. I guess what's oh skills gosh, are I mean the thing is, speech and language therapy is one of the best professions in the world. Of course, um, it is. and uh, because <laughs> you are. Um, facilitating I think supporting people to either develop their ability to communicate that's spoken written verbal or non-verbal or their um, feeding and swallowing mm-hmm. or you are facilitating people who have lost the capacity somehow so they may have had a stroke dementia Parkinson's um, you know an acquired so they might have, a, have been in an accident and have lost their ability to verbally, well, yeah, verbally communicate, um, or uh, like, like I say, the feeding side of things as well. So no, it's it's not. It's about communicating, and and for me, it's about the spoken and the links to the written form because to me, the two are not separable. You know, it's mm-hmm. two sides of the coin. Um, you have spoken, you have written, and actually, to develop your spoken, you need the written because. Um, 
a lot of your new vocabulary and your language that you learn is through reading and, and exposure mm-hmm. to different books and your knowledge and your IQ and all of these things come into play. So, no, it's not about teaching people how to speak properly. Um, it's actually more about that two-way interaction, that communication. And it can be the verbal, but it could also be the non-verbal, you know, understanding that when somebody says... I don't know, uh, I'm happy in that very deadpan tone that they're actually not, do you know what I mean, sarcasm mm. and all of these different things. So it's, it's so many different things. And and also for the child right through to the adults, um, that loss because, you know, some people, I don't know, you've got the 40-year-old who's had a stroke and can mm. no longer ask for you know can't find his socks or ask for very basic items that they used to be able to do or can't feed themselves and if you imagine for a moment losing that capacity the sorts of things you really do take for granted mm-hmm. there's a lot of emotional there's the emotional aspect and for the children as well I'm you know I'm always moved by the children's visions of I was assessing a child, well, my student was assessing a child and I was observing the session and the child said, I'm really stupid, no one's ever going to love me, I'm never going to get married, because of this whole idea about their communication skills. So mm. it affects the very young right up to the older, you know, older range, age range. Well, that's, that's really interesting because I was going to ask you that question about kind of what the connection is between communication and language um, and unhappiness, well, happiness, well-being, contentment, all that sort of stuff. And it sounds like it's 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 very deeply enmeshed. The link between the link between language and communication is because it's sort of, I suppose, if you think about it in terms of the words that you use, mm. the the verbal and non-verbal cues and signals that you give allow you to express your thoughts, your feelings, your ideas. So it can be a very frustrating world for you if you're not able to make contact and interact with your peers. So Mm. if somebody is, if you are feeling um, frustrated about something or anxious about something and you can't tell anybody, you can't communicate that, um, that feeling or emotion, that is extremely isolating and, mm. and frustrating. It's a bit like, I don't know, even when you're excited about something, something really positive has happened in your life and you think, oh, I must tell the wife, the husband, the, the best friend or whoever. And imagine if you couldn't do that, if you couldn't share those positives and those kind of those low times. Because sometimes it's actually, you don't want people to solve your problems, although sometimes you do. Um, mm. You want to just be able to share them it's somehow getting it out of your head and swimming around and putting it somebody else taking some of that burden if you like not that you're deliberately wanting to burden them with with whatever it is but sharing it makes it an easier thing to bear to manage and they can some a really good communicator can reflect back to you what you're really thinking and feeling and actually help you to arrive at an answer without actually telling you the answer right so um the role of the speech and language therapist in that case is to, as you were saying before, to kind of facilitate that, mm. that sort of arrival at being able to express yep. something which was, you know, out of reach previously. Yes, it might be that it was, because obviously in a, in a child, they're still developing, so mm. they need help to further build and develop whatever it is 
whatever level they're at. So getting to a level that is within the expected range for their age and stage. Whereas for an adult um, who has acquired all the communication skills, so knows what they, in most cases, knows what they should be doing, Mm. but actually the frustration of not being able to have a conversation, not being able to string a sentence together, not be able to find the right word, um, or, yeah, so... Yes, and I've forgotten the question. <laughs> so have I. Don't worry. This is all great stuff. Um, well, let, let me... I, I know um, client confidential, confidentiality mm, is obviously going to be really important, mm. um, but are there any sort of moments or instances in your, your career where you've sort of noticed somebody somebody making, with your help, that sort of breakthrough? Oh, well, I was in tears on Friday because yeah. uh, I'm really blessed, I think, because I do something that I love and I feel passionate about. Um, during lockdown, I, I have to say, I kind of was <laughs> losing some of that passion, but that was more to do with the situation. But I absolutely love what I do. Now, I've had... Um, for me, the biggest thing is not what you have or haven't got. It's about your approach or attitude to that thing. So mm-hmm. if you're really struggling, but you have a sense of if you have resilience, you have motivation, you have self-assurance that you're, you're going to get there if you just find the right keys to help you move forward. Those for me are, are, are the basics like self-esteem, um, confidence, belief. And mm. a lot of my children come to me and their self-esteem and confidence are in the shoes. Yeah. So for me, in a way, it's almost secondary that they can't string a sentence together or they can't write their name and they're 12 and they don't know the alphabet and all of these things. Yes, those are important, but you need to get that sense of, I can do this, Mm -hmm. I will get better, I'm going to get there. And that, for me, is the most important thing to do. And I've had two incidences. One happened over lockdown where a child had been to clinic. It was about 10 years ago. And he was one of the worst... You know, the, the profile in terms of the sense of difficulty, he was so low about his own ability and he was so significantly impaired. And um, I'm just going to stop that. <laughs> Somebody wants to talk to you. <laughs> well, so, yes, so I spent a lot of my time through the students working with that child to develop their belief. And my whole approach to intervention was about building a person's self-belief as well as helping them acquire the skills that they needed. Mum contacted me, this is 10 years on, to say, oh, just wanted to let you know that, you know, my child has just got a place at university doing X. And and it was just, it was wonderful. And then I had another one um, who contacted me again uh, just a couple of weeks ago to say um, her son had gone into university, was doing law. And they came into the building on Friday mm. and uh, Alison said, I need you at the office straight away. Something important's come up. And I was thinking, oh no, what's happened? Because it's just before clinic. So it's better yeah. than before clinic. Mm. Um, and, and then she came out and her son, who had last time I'd seen him, he was about seven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and a, a little short thing. And now <laughs> he's like 18 and this big guy, you know, looked like a bloke. And... Um, and he was just say he said he said thank you very much for all the support you gave me and I wouldn't have done it without you and just gave me this massive, you know, bunch of flowers and uh, you know and it and it was lovely it was really reaffirming but I do get you know people do get back in touch and do say you know you, mm. you've really made a difference um, and that is the you know money uh, you know nothing can 
nothing can uh, top that really knowing yeah. that you've impacted someone's life in such a positive way just through doing what you enjoy yeah well that sounds fantastic i mean what was your what was your journey into speech and language therapy like oh, how did you Lord. decide this was the thing to do well i i was one of these people who i didn't know at the time when i was at school i loved school i loved mm. learning i was like yeah. the do you know i want to know everything i want to learn everything <laughs> and uh, I'd work really, really hard, and I'd be the person that people would come to and say, "How do you? Can you explain what this means?" So I'd be the person, but I was also the person that did the worst in my tests, and I couldn't right. understand because I knew it all, and I, as far as I was concerned, I wrote it all down, so I couldn't understand what I was doing wrong. <laughs> Turns out I was uh, dyslexic, but I didn't know all through my school. It wasn't until I was doing my masters. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so yes, yeah, so I went through. And I thought, what am I going to do for my life? You know, because I'd actually failed my A-levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I took myself to the library and I picked up this massive, it was this big book and it was about A to Z of careers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I literally <laughs> went through the A to Z of careers and, and I kind of thought about what I liked, what I enjoyed. You know, I thought I like working with people, I like supporting people. And I signed up... Um, and I saw speech and language therapy, and I thought, oh, that looks interesting. I thought, oh, I don't have qualifications. I'm going to have to do, you know, um, I think I had to prove my academic ability. So I did, I don't know, I had to do an A-level and get a reasonable grade. So I did yep. psychology or something like that. I always remember it because on the day of the exam, I got lost. Typical dyslexic brain, went to the wrong place. So I turned up to mm. the exam half an hour late. I was like, oh, no, it's just typical <laughs> me. Also, they predicted my grade would be an E. And I was like, oh, gosh, I'm late and I'm predicted an E. Why do they think I'm going to get an E? Anyway, so I did the exam and did the best I could in the time that I had. And I got I got a B, so I was so yay. pleased because I thought, yay, stuff your E, I got a B. <laughs> so, and then, yeah, so then I, I sort of started this training in, in, in um, speech and language. And I was just fascinated by just, because I'm a talker, I suppose, I'm a communicator, I enjoy... I enjoy talking actually, but I also do like the listening, I like the problem solving. And that's mm. the thing, being a speech and language therapist is, is like being a detective. Right. Um, you're looking for clues, you're looking for what's going wrong for this person, Where are, where's the, you know, what, what can I do to help them move forward? And, and that's what I like about it. I like that kind of detective problem solving, trying to find the answers to help them help themselves. Right. Got Again, it. I've forgotten the question. But, it was um, sort of it was your journey into speech and language therapy. Yeah, kind of so made it was it kind there. of like yeah, looking up thinking, oh, I'll do. It. I wasn't like I want to be a speech and language therapist. And I have to say, I've never watched The King's Speech, um, yeah. and I must one day sit and watch it. But um, yeah, so it wasn't like I watched this amazing program, was inspired, or I had mm. an auntie who had this or that. No, it was purely what can I do and, and looking it up. Yeah, excellent. And to have found the thing which. You know, obviously Ultimately, gives you so much yeah. happiness and joy is, 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 a, is, is remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you could not like, you're working with, who am I with? I'm working with kids, I'm working with parents, I'm working with teachers, I'm working with students. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, can't go wrong really. Touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> Quite. Um, so, yeah, obviously the teaching side of, of what you do is, is really important. I mean, what, what is it about, because teaching's hard. It's a, it's a hard job. Um, so what is it about that which gives you the greatest oh, sense of satisfaction and joy. Um, I like a challenge, I suppose. And 
when I was it's when I was younger, I was always it was back in the day when you used to play out with your friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I oh, used yeah. to always be the teacher. <laughs> Even <laughs> when I was very little, I was always the teacher. But I never envisaged that I would be, you know, standing up and lecturing. What I like about it is the fact that I know I start off thinking, God, I've done the course, I've got the degree, but I can't teach this, <laughs> you know, because it's a very different thing teaching it to someone than reading it and doing assignments for yourself. So yeah. I, I like the challenge of trying to convey complex ideas and making them accessible. I like mm. the idea of supporting and growing knowledge through others with others so that they can go forward and and go on to help other children. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the idea of that shared knowledge. There's nothing frustrates me more. I'm in a lecture and I throw out a question and there's silence in the room. So mm. my ultimate challenge is always, right, I'm not having silences. I want people to, you know, ask me questions and and challenge but yeah I, I don't know I think I like sharing knowledge I like sharing and exchanging um, mm-hmm. and that's what the lecturing does and it and linking it to you know all the, the theories and the concepts but linking that to real people in real world and transforming that that's what mm. I yeah that's what I, I, I just love that yeah and it's it's obviously going to have been a really challenging time over the last couple of years um, as a teacher uh-huh. to kind of find yourself in a situation where you, you're kind of separated from your from your students. What I mean, What's that been like? <laughs> oh, well, I tell you what, I, I am also one of these people that gets extraordinarily frustrated when I can't do something. Uh-huh. It's just yeah. I revert to about five um, <laughs> and have a proper tantrum. I get really frustrated. Now, my biggest weakness has always been to anything to do with technology. Mm, I mean, I okay. don't do Facebook, WhatsApp. I, did, I never did any of that stuff because mm. for me, it's like it's like the devil's work in terms of communication yeah. <laughs> because you're because you're communicating without really communicating re- what's really going on. Someone can type and say, "I'm really great. Everything's wonderful." Mm. And actually, it's not. Or everyone's trying to show how brilliant and happy their life is or, or whatever it is. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't engage in it also. Maybe I'm wrong. But for me, anyway, that was how I was before lockdown. Mm. And I've, ha- I've done a full 360 now. So okay. now I'm very much about old technology. I spent um, hours, days <laughs> working out how to make my slides entertaining how to make them engaging um because as somebody who is who struggled with sort of processing and the visual and all of these kinds of things Mm. um i i bring that into my teaching so i i think how do i make this so that it's not people aren't going to fall asleep or you know how do i engage people with these so all of these kinds of things i mean i'm still pants at it but um you know, I've come a long way in terms of... So it was difficult in terms of the learning. There was no curve. You know, people talk mm. about learning curve. There wasn't any curve. It was straight up. You know, yeah. so had cliff face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you just have to, you know, drop off at the deep end <clears throat> and take all your learning that you did face-to-face, do it online. And, of course, mm. online you don't get... You don't get the same feedback. Um, I forgot how to talk... I don't know why talking on screen is, is, is harder. Um... 
I know what you mean. You don't. You don't get the same sense if you've got a clap a screen of people, mm. and you're talking to them and you're asking questions. It's much easier to hide on on screen than it is when you're in a room. Um, that whole eye contact, that whole communication was a bit more challenging. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got there. I mean, I, I don't know what the mm. students would say about their experience, but um, it was new for all of us. It was challenging for all of us, and we did the best we could. Um, given the resources that we had no 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 it's just that no i've got tights on and i've just clipped my tights with my nail and, and now i've got a hole in the tights and i was just thinking no. oh, i haven't got a spare pair not that people need to know about this this will be the bit you edit out <laughs> i don't know it's it's kind of useful useful background uh, <laughs> right okay i always used to have a spare pair in my top drawer but uh, anyway I digress. Yeah, so teaching, yes, more challenging during lockdown, but I think that was the same for everybody. Everyone was online trying to work out how to do it and how to make it mm. fun and interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's interesting you're talking about this because I'm, I'm actually kind of sat at the heart of, of, of the other side of that because I, you know, my day job, I work for this organisation called JISC um, that is all about, um, you know, providing people with the support for doing sort of online online learning. And I think it's very easy for, for people like me to exist in a bubble where, you know, we spend half our time online and, Mm. talking this sort of environment like you and I are talking at the moment which is whether you're in Newcastle I'm in Bristol um, and it's easy to forget and to, to empathise with people in that situation that you're kind of faced with it it's a very new thing and all of a sudden a lot of really important stuff has been stripped away yeah, um, yeah. I, I wanted to have a sort of conversation about um, your students as well in particular mm. uh, and there's one thing that really um, really struck me because uh, on when was it Friday um, I came to your office to your building because I needed to drop off oh, the yes. microphone that you're using at the moment and uh, when we were arranging that you said well just just come in and, and drop it at reception so I, so I came in and started looking for reception I couldn't find it so I was wandering around the corridors of your building getting a little bit lost not really kind of knowing where uh, where to go and that I just noticed as I, I walked past this door and it really stood out because obviously academic buildings, everything's quite kind of neat and serious and stuff. But I was walking past this door and it was covered in <laughs> art. And I thought, if, if that's anybody's doors, that, that's, that, that's Carol's. It's covered in art. It's, it's really kind of appealing. And I just kind of wonder what it is about your door, which what does that tell, tell us about you and your relationship with students well the thing is i try really hard because i i don't know i suppose i'm trying to put myself in their shoes and try to be mm. approachable and just to show who i am so i really like an cartoons and animations so mm. that features a lot in everything i do um, obviously it helps working with kids Mm. Um, and so yeah just making the door welcoming and also it's this thing about academia and what it is I suppose my mm. experiences my perceptions wrongly or rightly you know is this very sort of um, what how you described it what did you say you know very what about the, the, the door as being very sort of neat and yeah everything clinical and yes it, it well, clinical is the wrong word in this no, case no, but yeah I, yeah I know what you mean though yeah so yeah. i don't know I, I wanted to my door to stand out so that actually people would come to my door see and smile because i think mm. if you smile that automatically puts you in a different place 
it does something internally to you when you smile. So if you see something, you go, ah, you go into that kind of relaxed, alert, happy place. And if it's something that touches you in a way that takes you back to better times, happier times, like cartoons do, Mm. and you know, those kind of innocent times, then before you've even come in the door, you're in that, oh, this is nice place. Yeah. And then you go and you, and you kind of go from there and, and it sets the tone. And you can probably see on my wall, I have all these sayings um, mm-hmm. that, that I put on the door. So sometimes people will come and I'll be talking um, and they'll, they'll read the signs on the door. And that's deliberate, you know, because then mm. uh, sometimes it can it can touch them because I do like my sayings. What's this one? I found this fear. And I've got false expectations appearing real. Okay. You know, and, and things like that are just, yeah. So I like having things on my door. I'd have sayings and all sorts on my door because initially I thought, oh, no one puts anything on their door. Mm. And then I, I decided, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to put stuff on my door. And if someone tells me off, then fair enough. But I'm going to put stuff on my door. And that's what I do. Has anybody ever told you off for it? No, no, no one said anything. Quite right. Um, Good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it certainly because in my life I've, I've knocked on loads of academics' doors and uh, felt really kind of nervous about it. Kind of, what's the reception I'm going to get? But I knew when I knocked on the door, I, I was quite looking forward to you saying, "Come in." I thought, "Oh, this is going to be fun." <laughs> so, um, so yeah, job I, I mean, done, it, then. job done, job done, job done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I mean, it's been quite challenging. To, you talk about it being a challenging time for um, for for teachers. Um, but it's also been a very challenging time for 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 students, and um, I just kind of wonder now that students are kind of coming back into campus largely. Um, I mean, what are you finding that the challenges are that they're facing? That you know, from a pastoral point of view, it's, it's important for you to, to help oh, them with. Yes, I mean, I think um, students because they've had some of them, you know, were started their first year and it was going fine then covid happened and then their second year they were in covid and now they're in their mm. third year yeah so there's that sense of right or wrongly that they've missed out somehow you know they've missed out socially emotionally academically because they've had a very different version of what they were sold if you like mm. um but through no one's fault and everyone's actually worked extraordinarily hard to make sure that what they got delivered was mm. as good as and if not better than they would have got face to face yeah so they haven't actually missed out but that doesn't stop your perception because if your perception your expectation is a and you get b even though b is equivalent to a you're still mm. filled out and i think people have been exposed to death at a as a biggest larger scale uh death in terms of it's almost for some people a suddenness mm. or a sort, of, a sort of a they've got this thing are they going to survive and they're not you know what I mean this, this added I don't know this added layer into society that isn't normally there so if you've already had an ill grandparent mm. but they were tootling along quite well given that they're ill and then they yeah. get COVID and then that's it they've gone mm-hmm. yeah. so I think for the youngsters there's a lot of that and I, I do I suppose it's grieving for the loss of a period of your life. You know, mm-hmm. those two years are quite precious. You know, the 16 to 
you know, early 20s. They're yeah, some exactly. of the best times of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and to be locked in and not be able to socialise, I think that's really difficult. Not be able to... I suppose people use social media mm. and, and, you know, and thank goodness we had those things. But actually for a lot of people, that was, they realise that's not enough. It's actually yeah. not enough to just do this. But you actually need to be physically in the room with them. And there was something on the news this morning about these three dads who were doing walking to each other's houses and they share oh, yes. the common thing about um, their daughters committed suicide. And yeah. I think for all three, um, it, it wasn't you know it wasn't as though they were suicidal. I mean, I haven't I haven't watched um, the stories cover to cover, but it was just that that thing. And then they they threw up the statistic. You know, one of the biggest killers for eighteen to fifty five year olds is suicide. Mm. So it, it kind of makes you think and you hear these statistics about, you know, youngsters are the most unhappiest of generations, even though they've got all these things. So I think for the youngsters, it's, it's, it's been an extraordinary challenging time. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it's a marker for them. Yeah. And in some ways, it's something that they'll share with, with another group. And in time, I think they'll see it as Although sad, also a precious time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because we kind of stuck with family or, you know, whoever, yeah. um, and you kind of realise the value of things that you perhaps never realised before. Um, so in time, people will realise that was a really special time. There was a lot of sadness going on, but there was also a lot of realisation about what's mm. important in life. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, Carl, I'm really sort of aware that people will be beating down, literally beating down your door to get <laughs> in because it's such an attractive door. It just in the last couple of minutes, we were thinking about sort of happiness and you've, you've told us a great deal about your work and mm. you know, how that brings you joy and happiness. But just outside of work, I mean, what, what would you say? Where, do you, where do you go to find happiness? Yeah. Simple things. Uh, happiness is about time with people it's time with friends, it's time with family, it's all the cliche stuff, isn't it? I think it's it's ultimately time with people who accept you, who right. accept you for who and what you are. They might be your friends, it might be the dog, it might be the cat, it might be your... <laughs> it's never the cat in my experience. <laughs> you know, it might be your brother or sister. So I think it's about spending time with people who accept you for yeah. warts and all. That is, I think key to being happy the other thing key to being happy is acceptance of who and what you are accepting that okay this is my face you know i've got to live with it although now you can actually go and cut it up and change it if you want but do you know what i mean it's accepting yeah. who you are and what you are and loving yourself in spite despite all of all of those things so for, so for me that that's what it is about if you can mm. love you and accept you. And it's also, happiness is also about getting something back from what you do mm. that isn't financially, it's not materialistically rewarded. It's yeah. rewarded in, a, in, in some kind of, I don't know, it makes you feel like you feel that first morning when it's been cold and you step out the door and the warmth of the sun hits you or mm -hmm. um, 
you've come in from the cold and you sit in front of a fire and you feel warm or you know it's those things that you can't yeah now for some people it might be money you know for, yeah. for some people it'll be other things but for me it's those things that you get something back you get pleasure from doing something that you do because you want to you do it with a willing heart and you get something back that is not um, it's almost not quantifiable, is it? It's, mm. it's it, it's that emotional connection you get from doing something for others. Yeah. Mm. Carol, that's an absolutely beautiful note to finish on. So I, I could talk to you for another hour. <laughs> just, it's just been a real pleasure. I feel pleasure. like I haven't been very helpful, actually, because I think I have no... No, 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 no. Yeah. This, is, this, is one of, this has been one of my favourite interviews of all time. Um, oh, thank so, you. That's all right. That's yeah, true. Um, so... Uh, We'll, we'll leave it there. You've got students to talk to. You've got a whole busy week ahead of you. But um, just on behalf of the Northern Guide to Happiness, thank you so much for giving us your time. So that was my chat with Carol. What did we all think? Alex? Oh, what a fabulous interview, Chris. Mm. Thank you. And thank you, Carol. She um, was great. I've got lots of, uh, yeah, she really was. Um, I've got lots of scribbled notes. So I'm trying to make sense of my yeah. uh, scribbled <laughs> notes. I was getting all excited and writing lots of things down to, to remember. Um, yeah, just just loads in there that I could sort of take away and, and, and relate to. I just found really interesting. Um, I think she, she talked a little bit about... Um, she, you know, she loves doing her, her work because, you know, that, that idea of building self-belief in, in others. Um, and I think she used that example of a, a student uh, who'd, who she'd worked with and who was now going on to university mm. doing law. And he came into the office to see her and uh, yeah. just sort of seeing seeing the difference. Um, and, and yes, I think she said that she, she made a difference doing what she enjoys you know mm. she's, she's made a huge impact on on someone's life but you know she actually enjoys doing it so it doesn't feel like work for her yeah so i i really i really enjoyed that that part of the conversation um i think in terms of happiness um as well she, she sort of touched on on her lecturing as well and mm-hmm. um you know that she likes i think she used the phrase she likes sharing and exchanging knowledge um though was quite honest about how she would try and make her slides more interesting for her students so you know there's no <laughs> you know I've been, I've been in a few lectures and, and some have been uh, slightly more interesting than others so I, I love that honesty yeah, um, yeah that you know she she appreciates that not all lectures are interesting so how can she make hers more interesting um yeah I really I really found that that funny um but in terms of happiness I think what she was saying about you know, you, you you're happy when people accept you for who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, I think that's what she sort of felt happiness was. You know, all all warts and all, um, good days, bad days. If people can accept you for who you are, then that's that's true happiness. Um, but yeah, loads of loads of great stuff in there. Thanks, thank you. Thanks, Alex. Kath, what about you? It's such a lot of wisdom. Yeah. Mm. Ge- generally, all the way through, pearls of wisdom and. Um, she had a beautiful voice uh, uh, and expression. I loved. I loved listening to her. The happiness takeaway for me was at the end, virtually, when my note says happiness is a feeling, not a material thing, mm-hmm. and I, I just clung on to that. I thought that was that was wonderful. A great insight into speech and language therapy. Um, the idea of of adults being involved 
at different points in their life, more so than as much as children. I, I, I'd got the children bit part of it, but having to relearn language was it was interesting, mm. and you could sense some of the achieve you know effort and achievement that would have to go into an adult, which must be incredibly frustrating mm. that when you can't make yourself heard when you have mm. in the past. Yeah. Um, but the the thing that the the thing that made me laugh out loud was when she talked about decorating the door of her office. Mm. Um, I just had a mental picture of this grey corridor. <laughs> and you said you knew which, which door it was. But, <laughs> but the other thing she said, and I, I'm really sorry to lower the tone of the discussion, but um, she, she was talking about top drawers. <laughs> what do you keep in your top drawer? And that just opened up. I immediately went to my top drawer <laughs> because you really probably don't want to know most of the time what's in there. And I thought it, it was just such an amazing idea that I would go around and ask a variety of people, what do you keep in your top drawer? <laughs> maybe, this, maybe that's a series for Instagram. You've got to open well, your drawer now, take a picture of it and post yeah, it on Instagram. Because it's incredibly personal, isn't it? I had a, I mean, I had a, you know those little tiny pots of jam you get in hotels? For about yeah, for the whole five yeah. years that I worked at Newcastle University, I had a little pot of strawberry jam in my top drawer. Just in case. Just in case. <laughs> Just in case of what? Emergency toast. I don't know. Just an unexpected scone. <laughs> Have a look in my top drawer. Hang on a minute. There's a pack of cards, um, some replacement printer ink, and something that I got in a hotel that I don't really know what it is. Um, And I think I better stop there. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, altogether, I just thoroughly and I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it, and Mm. I was most impressed with with what she said. Yeah. Great. I mean, I have to I have to acknowledge I have some skin in the game because uh, my wife is a speech and language therapist, and it was <laughs> it was uh, her that uh, recommended I speak to Carol. But I'm so glad she did. I mean, I could have I could have talked to Carol for hours or just sat there and listened to her because she was she was great. Um, but it was kind of apparent all the way through the interview that loads of other people wanted to as well. So she heard her phone going <laughs> off, but we were also interrupted by students that had to, had kind of scheduled meetings in, and she was very very. Um, I, I was I was very grateful to 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 Carol for keeping going with the recording, even uh, when people were kind of turning up to talk to her. So um, well, thank you, anybody Carol. who can get up at four o'clock in the morning and then <laughs> I, know, I know so much yes. energy, but, um, early bird, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> wonderful. Thank you, Carol. So thanks both of you. Um, if you have been inspired by this podcast episode, then we would love to hear from you. Uh, we love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. So you can get in touch with us via email hello at the northern guide to happiness.co.uk or you can find us on twitter at north happiness and instagram and facebook at northern happiness we're really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the northeast through this podcast thanks to funding from the national lottery community fund and the newcastle covid fund so thank you so much to our funders for their support so alex what have you got in store for us next week Oh, Chris, next week we've got a bit of a love story for everybody. Yes, I talked to Lucy and Paul Hull, who run a fabulous small business called For the Love of the North, based in Spanish City, 
at Whitley Bay. Um, they've got a big passion for supporting other small businesses and the local community through their work. They love the Northeast, they love its people and its places. So you'll hear me ask them questions like this. So supporting local business, small business, supporting the local community mm. is something that's important to you. Why, why is it important to you? And is that somewhere that you, you find happiness supporting those small businesses and communities? And hear them give answers like this. Yeah, it'd be, be, because, you know, with respect to the small businesses, the small businesses are the, the, the lifeblood of the high street. You know, they're, they're so unique. They're, they're offering something, you know, a specialist service. And the people who run them, you know, like what we've done, you know, it, it's a thing where we've, you know, completely changed our, our life. It's, it, it's our, you know, our livelihood now. But we care about it, you know. We're not just in like a big corporate chain where you just rack up for work and, you know, you just take the money and, you know, you're not that bothered and invested in it. You know, people who run small businesses genuinely care. And if it wasn't for small businesses, high streets, which, you know, have been having such a rough ride the last few years, they would be pretty beige, grey, dismal, boring places, you know. So it's, it's, it's really about getting people to you know behind that shop small ethos and, and and you know it's it's things like the just a card campaign where you know even if you do just you know sometimes people come into our shop and they'll say oh i'm sorry i'm just buying a postcard i'm just buying a card and you say no that's just no it's just you, 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 you yeah. it's not don't yeah. say just you're making a massive difference because if everybody did that you know it's it's yeah and and, and i do think that that does bring us happiness to, to be part of that community mm. of small indie businesses and you know where we can offer support in terms of mentoring or whatever that we have been able to do or, or doing has, has been great and the support that we've received in turn um, running a, your own business can be incredibly lonely and to to have that community around us it, it's incredibly important mm. yeah yeah it is it is so that's what's coming up next week great so we've reached the end of another episode we hope you're enjoying listening to the northern guide to happiness do take care and see you again next week for another episode